Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. I'm Sky Cassidy, and this is uh, Carla Jo Helms. Hi, guys. And today we'll be talking with Jason Webb of Pearson Butler about protecting your brand's brand with uh, copyright and trademark. Jason is an intellectual property attorney and partner at Pearson Butler. Uh, Jason, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's a very regal name, Pearson Butler. Pearson right? Butler, yes, yep. it is. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I said the word Jason too many times, but I'm just happy to have a name I can pronounce. Yeah, I, I like the name Jason. I'm, I'm actually considering <laughs> starting the cult of Jason. If you're going to start the cult, if uh, I'm not sure if we're using video on the podcast today, but my surroundings look like I'm starting a cult. So it does. <laughs> it does. Right? It does. I mean, COVID new, has yeah. COVID has really changed things for you, Sky. <laughs> my new undecorated uh, surroundings here now. No, you're going to actually create it into a really cool space. I'm excited to see it. Yep. Right now, everything you can't see is cool, and everything you can is a uh, yeah a bunker. <clears throat> anyway, so today's topic: copyright and trademark, protecting your brand's brands. We might bring up um, we might bring up uh, what patents a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Let's trade secrets too. Trade secrets. I, I really feel like this intellectual property law thing has really blown up in the past fifteen years. It seemed a, a bit nebulous to me. Uh-huh. Oh, years no. ago, I remember being at an Inc. 5000 conference or an Inc. 500 conference, and it was just the buzz at that particular time. It was like all this new buzz. That was about maybe like 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Am I wrong on that? Can no, we even no. get into right. intellectual property today? I mean, that seems like it's two podcasts on its own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it kind of started back in the early 1900s where, um, you know, banks were involved in a lot of the sale of businesses back and forth. Right. So, you know, someone starts a business, they run it for a while, then they sell it to someone else. And of course, the banks are involved and the banks started noticing this weird thing where the accountant who um, adds up everything that you know, shows the worth of the business would add up to a certain amount. But then the sale of the business would be you know, 10, 20 percent more than that. And um, and so they wanted they wanted to call that bump something. And so they started calling it the goodwill. Right. And as, as, as time has passed, that 20% bump turned into a 30%, 40%, 50%. And, and, and right now, um, if you look at the typical sale of a typical company, you know, not, not like a mom pop plumbing supply, but, you know, the companies that, that we'd be talking about, um, 80% of the value is off book. And, and that's the intellectual property. And so that's one of the reasons why people are really excited about it is because if you wanted to build something <laughs> to sell later, it's a nebulous value where you can just say, we've got a billion dollars and you're like, I know we don't sell anything. We have no sales, but we no, have seriously 80% of it is off book. Like into like, give me an example. Give me, let's like, yeah. So, so like if you, um, if you have a company and you, you produce a product or something and you sell it on Amazon or you're, you know, whatever you're doing. Right. Um, then you're going to have a certain amount of inventory that's on book. You might have some equipment, right? You might have a mold in China that you own. You might, there's all sorts of things that you own. You add all that stuff up. It's not even going to come close to what you would sell the company for. 
Right. And, okay. And so, yeah. And so what it is, is that you have this intellectual property, you have your brand, right? So you have all these clients and customers that like you, they're excited for you. You have your, your social media that you're getting all this stuff out on. Right. And all of that is related to your intellectual property. And, um, Holy and cow, so you're kidding me. Yeah. And so when you sell the company, the biggest pieces that you're selling are these non-tangible assets like your your brand, like your copy that you've been using to sell stuff with, your 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 systems, your 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 sales funnel, right? Your sales funnel is full of all sorts of things that are protectable with copyright. This the systems you use a lot. I, I hear the people systems, saying, your branding, your process, your type yeah. of yeah, the way yeah. Now wow. copy, copyright, trademark, patents also does that all fall into that intellectual property bucket kind of? Yeah, yeah, it does. And if you look at the the property concepts, the property concept itself is just a made up thing. I mean, there's no such thing as property in the real natural <laughs> world, right? It only exists because we have governments that say it exists and those governments have armies and police that will enforce it, right? So, um it's whatever we want it to be. The companies you mean get my weird condo with that. doesn't exist in actual fact. Well, your condo does exist, right? If, if no one would enforce somebody it, else living there. But the there, ownership of it yeah. is really just a piece of paper and a confidence yeah. that's enforced by the law. I get but it. It's, yeah, it's, it's a fiction that we've all agreed that is true. It's one of those things that's only true because we believe it's true, right? Well, yeah. Isn't that how the universe is created? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot Keeping of us all from constantly right. murdering each other to get. It's actually very on. philosophical. Yeah. <laughs> I know of a really good marketer told me one time he's he said copyright the shit out of everything, trademark the shit out of everything, and I thought I thought he was being a little overboard, but from what I'm listening to you, 80, 90 percent of the value of my company whenever I sell it is going to be off book, so maybe I should do that. Yeah, and that way you capture that value. And that way, when you're when you're in those negotiations and they're saying, well, what have you got to give me? Right. You've got a big pile of things to give. And, and so that's a big pile of things for them to buy. So, wow. Yeah, you can say we, we don't only own, you know, these clients and we have this much recurring revenue and all that kind of stuff and this much profit. But we have all this branding that we own. Um, yeah. That and that if you decide you don't want to buy it from me and maybe you want to buy one of my competitors instead, these are all things that you can't do. These are all things that my competitor can't do. And so, you you know, if you like what you see, then you better buy it from me because your alternative is you don't get it at all. Is this the bulk of what you do? I like, do you do a lot of advisements on company valuations and selling as far as their IP? Or I do. I'm I'm in the creation side of things. Um, okay. I do do some valuation work, and I do. I'm involved in some acquisitions. Um, for the most part, I'm working with um, existing, growing, and startup businesses that are are developing the IP, and now we want to get it protected. That's that's my bread and butter. That's what I do all the time. So. Got it. I want to step away from IP because it's such a big topic. And really try to focus down um, on copyright and trademark and try to stick to those as much as possible. There's way too many questions I have just on copyright and trademark. But it is a subset of it, right? Copy like. Yeah. It's part of intellectual property. Okay. I'm going to go on a, I mean, I'm going to go on some tangents anyway, but you start talking about intellectual property. I got all kinds of stories. Well, maybe that was my fault because I really thought that's all it was, but I'm sure it's more than that. Way more than that. I, I would say you've got, 
the copyright and trademark here. And then that's inside this giant bubble of intellectual property with a bunch of other stuff that um, is, a you know, maybe we'll have Jason on again. to go. Yeah. I feel woefully general. ignorant. Am I getting, I don't want to get this wrong, Jason. Is that uh, an accurate? Yeah. You're doing, yeah. Yeah. Copyright and trademark are really important subcategories of intellectual property. Okay. So let's get to those just for the listeners, copyright trademark. What are they? And how do they differ from each other? And what are they for? Can you give, give us the, the kind of technical breakdown of those two things? Yeah. So maybe if I give a little bit of the history, that gives a better sense. I love so, history. Your history yeah. stuff is good. And, and I actually have, so it's kind of a cool tangent. I'm related to the king in Ireland who did the first copyright law. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the kind of stuff my family does, right? Um, so you have a copyright then on the copyright law. Basically, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. When countries around the world want to do their own copyright law, they have to come. He's the king. So he is the king. Yeah, no. So there was this priest in Ireland back in like I'm pretty sure it's Ireland, but it's um back in like 400 AD, and he had this vision, and at, at night a bright light came, and all of a sudden he had this download from God about what a bunch of the Psalms meant. And so he took notes in the margin of his Bible and, um, and had this great revelation, right? And so then everybody heard about it. So they started coming to the monastery where he lived. And that brought a lot of commerce to the area and a lot of donations to the monastery. And it was this big deal. Um, another priest from another monastery came over and wanted to read it. And he would read it and then he would take notes, right? So he basically made a copy of it. And then went back to his monastery and told everybody, hey, I've got a copy too. Um, and that really pissed off the first priest. Yeah. So the first priest <laughs> went to the king, which is my great, great gazillion times. Great, 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 great grandfather. He said, off with his head. Great grandfather. The king said, just like the calf belongs to the cow that birthed it, the um, the the book belongs to the person that wrote it, mm. okay? Mm. And, and kind of the idea there is that he wanted to get around this, this sense because the other argument was, well, this came from God, so it, mm. it, it's, it's everybody's, right? And then we, but you could say that the calf comes from God too. Yeah, but, but it, it seems a little like, hey, aren't you a priest? Right? Didn't you be wanting to share the word? <laughs> so right, wait, the, right. so let me make sure I understand this. The priest actually took, uh, he, was he interpreting or paraphrasing or things from the Bible that that actually like I, I, I missed that particular part. He was he was explaining what the scriptures meant. OK, got like, it. Yeah. So he, it was his interpretation, his explanation. Well, I mean, his his story is that it was straight from God. So it wasn't okay. his, it was God's. Right. He, okay. He, whatever. It was through, funneled through him. Or yeah, whatever. Through, he drank yeah. a bunch of Jesus juice, and God spoke to him. <laughs> he scribbled <laughs> in the margins. So exactly. I'll I'll put a link to this. We are not here to know. offend anyone's religion at this yeah. point. This is just strictly like history and law. What century was that, Jason? It was like 480, and um, and then after the king said that, the other priest didn't like it, so he gathered up his family and um. And within a few months, there were 3,000 people that were dead. <laughs> so, and then he lost. And so his punishment was he was exiled from Ireland until he had converted the same number of people to Christ that he had caused to die in the conflict. 
They had some really interesting solutions back then. It wasn't just like 10 years in jail. They're like, oh, no, you got to do some trials and you got to make up for this. And you got to nowadays. uh, No, it was like off with their heads. Yeah. (laughs) I'll have a link to this story in the show notes as well. It's very interesting. That's a very, very cool story. Jason is not making this stuff up. No. If they taught history this way in school, um, you know, that's uh, this is fascinating. So you know what? I've always had to look up copyright and trademark those particular things, even when we've worked with our attorneys on, okay, what's copyright? Okay, what's trademark, right? And I don't, I will never forget copyright now. Right. So what's <laughs> trademark? So, so tell me trademark. Yeah, okay. Copyright so, is saying, let just thing so- I want to point out in that story is that the, the purpose of the law was to protect and reward the priest who wrote the thing. Got it. Okay. So that's, that's the, that's the key piece. And that's a big key difference. And it's, it's this thing that he created, right. And it wasn't that it was a useful invention. It wasn't that it was, you know, a a dam or, or a a new hoe or something like that. It was, it was words, right. It was this creation. And then, and then copyright, of course, it's words, it's sculptures, it's music, it's all these creative things that we can produce. That's where copyright lies. Okay? Just protecting creative to, creations. Yeah, and we want to reward the creator. So that's that's where <laughs> where copyright lies. Um, so trademark law. Um, I'm a, the story I'm going to tell is sort of a compilation story. So so we can say this is based on true things, but the story itself isn't isn't a true story. If that okay. okay? Um, because there's a lot <laughs> that went into it and I, I'm kind of compiling different stories together to give a short narrative. So basically you have, you have this saddle maker and he makes really good saddles. Um, and, and, and he starts putting his stamp on it, right. Which is his initials basically. Okay. And, and, and people buy these saddles. They pay a lot of money for the saddles. They're really happy with the saddles. They tell their friends about the saddles, okay? And he has really good business. You have another saddle maker, not so good. He's having a hard time selling his <laughs> saddles, okay? And people don't really like his saddles. But what he does is, this is in kind of a bigger city, right? And so he starts putting the other guy's initials on his saddles. And what he discovers is as he does that, he sells a lot more saddles and he can sell them for higher prices. Right. He and steals so his logo, basically, happy. that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. Okay. But at the time, there wasn't a thing as a logo, right? Nobody knew what that was. Right. And and so... Was this so even precursor happened, to the brands, like cattle branding? This was precursor to that. Similar, yeah. 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 It's basically putting your mark on something. And what does yeah. your mark mean, right? And um, So that's your and, trade. Yeah, and there's lots of ways that we put our marks on things, including signatures on documents, right? And so, so basically, the the merchant is putting his mark on the thing that's his, and so you you draw a relation between the thing and the source of the thing, okay? And so, but you have this other guy that's 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 falsely doing that, okay? So then you have this knight or nobleman, and he buys a saddle from the second guy, gives it to his son. Son's riding, the saddle breaks, falls down, breaks his arm. Nobleman goes back to the first guy and says, I'm mad at you. Your saddle's crap. My son got hurt. I want you to pay. Okay. We and- think of saddles as, as a frivolous, like why saddles? What's such a, everybody rode horses back then. And it was probably yeah. a leading cause of death also. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was also a, it was also a product that was for higher end customers, right? Because, um, 
you know, the people who had the horses, they had power over, over the other people. Um, and so, so the first guy, the first merchant says, that's not my saddle. Those are my initials, but that's not my saddle. I don't use those materials. I don't stitch it in that way. That's, I can tell that that's not my saddle. And, and the nobleman's like, you're just trying to get out of, of paying. I think you're a liar, right? So they go before the king because it's the king's job when he's not drinking and, and, and having fun is his job to settle disputes, right? Or the feudal lord or whatever. The, didn't they settle yeah. disputes for the people on their land? Okay, got it. These that, are all just like, the, the, these are great kings passing down good judgment. These are all back judgment. in the medieval times. It's actually very yeah. interesting. Not all kings were bad, I think is the moral of the stories. Right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so they go in front of the king and, and it becomes pretty clear that, yeah, it's 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 not the merchant's saddle, right? But But the nobleman's still pretty upset. And so the king's like, I want to find a solution. I want to find a solution. But I also don't want to work hard, right? And I don't want this solution to be something that's on my head. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have my clerk keep a list of all the marks for all the merchants, okay? And, and so if you're a merchant, you come to my clerk and you tell him what your mark is. And he'll put your name down and what your mark is. And then if you catch, you merchant catch other people using the mark that you're that's supposed to be your mark you come and tell us and then we'll we'll make them stop okay but with their heads. go out there into the marketplace and, and and look and make sure everybody's doing the right marks that's a lot of work yeah, and we don't yeah. Do that, okay? so they invented the red tape but not the um uh, not the actual policing of it right right and and they and they say you merchants your job is to police it because that's that's too much work right. for us to do. Okay. And then, um, and then, but, but if it, the context of this is, this is not because the king likes the merchant and wants the merchant to have a good time and is grateful for the merchant. This is because the king is protecting the interests of the nobleman. The king wants the nobleman to be able to go out there and trust the mark. And so have more confidence of a, right. in the mark. Know it's that it's actually safe. It's actually high quality. Exactly. Right? So it's and seen as something... a consumer protection law more than a business protection law. Right, right. And so in contrast to the copyright, the copyright is all about rewarding the author so that we can get more stuff from the author or we, or we feel like it's right to reward the author. Okay. Trademark law, we're not rewarding the merchant. Now, what's happened is the nobleman who spends all the money and buys all the stuff that has that stratification has gone away. And now it's the general public that buys stuff. So it ultimately does reward the merchant in branding eventually. But originally it was just when you buy a Nike at ye oldie shoe shop, you need to know that you're actually buying a Nike and not spending extra money on some garbage. Right, exactly. And it really, well, you know, you see that a lot today. I think you see it in all of the, um, you know, self-help stuff and this and that, and people rob other things and they go, no, I want to make sure I'm only buying Tony Robbins. This is a Tony Robbins copyright. Even today it's for the consumer, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and there's value in that. And it, yeah. it is indirect value. The, the, the real intentional value is we want to protect the consumers. We want to protect the public. Um, and we're giving the merchant a chance to do that. Um, now that said, you know, when you're looking at the value of intellectual property, the most valuable intellectual property in the world is branding, right? I mean, if 
you know, if something were to happen wow. to Nike or McDonald's or something, and they were to lose a bunch of assets, you know, physical assets, all of a sudden, if they were to get, you know, possessed by a country, you know, all, all their manufacturing all of a sudden is, is nationalized in China, right? They would have enough value in their branding. They could go to a bank and say, hey, we need, you know, $2 billion to start manufacturing plants in Mexico. Will you loan us that off the strength of our brand? And the bank would be delighted to, excited to do it. Right. right? Like it's back because to that. the consumers trust the brand. Yeah. Because, and they'll pay for because, it. Yeah. And because really what you're owning with the brand is you're owning the circuitry inside of everybody's heads that says this brand means something good to me, right? Um, you know, what are the feelings you get when you think about Coca-Cola? Well, you get feelings of, of friendship and fun and happiness. Happiness, because that's good, been their brand right? forever. And why do you get that? Because every ad that they do, they don't even talk about that it tastes good. They don't even talk about that it's refreshing. No, it's Not happiness. It's all about something wonderful is happening with, with people with people or characters that are enjoying each other's company and there's a Coke there, right? Yeah. Makes so polar bears just, happy. Yeah, yeah. And Makes so, people and happy. So, yeah, and so now <laughs> our brains the are world sing. <laughs> Yeah, our brains are programmed that Coke equals happy and that's really, really valuable. So brands really only have value because of copyright. Otherwise, as soon as they started getting popular, they would get undermined by knockoffs using their same branding. Yeah, yeah, that's so, so trademark law protects the that value that starts to build. And and you know, a brand a brand at the very beginning is worth nothing because nobody right. knows what it is. Nobody cares. Nobody right? cares. Nobody's going to steal which gets into another question mm-hmm. in just a second. But um you know, when should people what should they copyright and trademark and when? And then what's uh, so another question on top of that, what's automatically copy? Cause there's some natural. Kind yeah, of automatic- so there, there's natural trademark and copyright protection. Um, it's called common law trademark protection. And, um, and then there's a, an automatic copyright protection that you get. So for example, let's say that my daughter takes my crayons and draws on my wall, right? Because she's put her art in a fixed form even though she used materials that didn't belong to her and even though it's on property that's not hers, okay? But the fixed form is something she created. She owns copyright rights in that. And if so I you take, can't ground her for doing it. You well, can't remove it from I the wall. She'll, she will sue you. <laughs> well, if you remove it from the wall, you have possibly violated her rights. Um, and there's actually want- a case out there where a graffiti artist was able to um, stop a... Uh, stop a guy who owned the building where he drew the graffiti from removing the graffiti. Okay. Yeah. I don't agree with that. I, yeah. I take some umbrage with that too, but I, I, I want to see the onion do the case about your daughter stopping you from cleaning the wall. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and what, what really she can stop me though, is I, if I take a photo of that, I've now made a copy mm. and did I make it with her permission or not? Because that's mm. what copyright protects against is against copy. Right. So when I take a photo, I've made a copy. If I upload that up on, on Instagram or social media or wherever, right, uh, I have now made more copies. And if you look at my account and see it, and maybe you save it on your phone, you've made another copy, right? right. And so these are all copies that if they're happening without her permission, then she can stop it. Now, the automatic copyright that you get allows you to stop people from copying, okay? But... 
it's really weak as far as actual damages or getting people to pay or some kind of punishment, right? And so, you know, if you, if you imagine that if someone, if someone came into your house and stole your computer and your TVs, all right, and then you tracked them down and you found that they stole them and you were able to verify that it was your stuff and you were able to prove all that and you took them to court and all you could get for all that effort and all that work and all that proving was that they had to give it back. Or not even that, that they couldn't come and steal anymore. Right. <laughs> they, had to, yeah. they had to stop stealing it. Yeah, exactly. If that's all you could get, you can see that that's not very much incentive not to steal, right? right? Whereas if you have a copyright registration, then you get up to $150,000 in statutory damages, and you don't even have to prove that they actually harmed your business. You don't have to prove that they made money. You just have to prove that they did it and they shouldn't have done it. And, and then the judge gets to decide how hard to hammer them for it. Right. Okay? So that's the teeth behind it of, hey, we got to protect people's Yeah. Ability, and the great brand. thing about those teeth is that that means that you typically never even end up in court because now there's this big hammer that's waiting for them at court and they're scared of that. So they're going to be willing to settle for less than that. Right. What is, the, what is the hammer again? What's the amount? Up to $150,000 in damages for each copyright registration that's in, in print. So, and that's also a, a reason why sometimes you might want to have multiple registrations. So for example, if you have multiple, if you have something that's in multiple modules, right? But you want to really protect it strong, instead of putting all the modules together in a package and registering a single registration, that maybe you register each module separately. And then that way, if someone does copy the modules, then, then the damages are higher. So therefore your settlement leverage is, is strong. You're getting more. Got it. So what you said, you do this stuff with startups. At what point should a business say, let's go beyond our, um, you know, our natural copyright and actually apply for a copyright? Yeah. Or a trademark. Yeah. So, so it's good to have those discussions really early on so that you can do some planning and some timing, but basically there's sort of, there's sort of two, like, like a beginning parentheses and an ending parentheses, right? You're not going to do it before this time and you're not going to do it after this time. And somewhere in the middle is the right time. So there's a point where it's too late. You're like, shit, we missed the window. Yeah. You can't copyright so, anymore. So with my daughter drawing on the wall, if I take my photo and upload it before she files the copyright application, then even if she gets a registration, this, the enhanced damages don't apply. Okay. So she's got to file it. She doesn't have to get the registration before I take the, the photo, but she's got to file it before I do my act of, of, of copy. Okay. And so that would be sort of the end thing. And the end parentheses is typically, when are you at risk of this being stolen? So you want to have your protection in place, just like, you know, if you won the lottery and they gave you a big bag of money, you wouldn't go take the big bag of money, put it in your backyard and then go to Home Depot to buy stuff for a fence. Right. right? You'd build your fence first, get your security in place, and then you'd put the bag back. Right. So right? once you buy the ticket, you're like, I'm going to win. Let me set up a safe in my, in my backyard. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or a bank account. Yeah. Either one. And then as far as the beginning parentheses, like when can we actually start considering protecting this with copyright materials, you have to have created it first. So, you know, you, you can't copyright a play that you haven't written, a book that you haven't <laughs> done, a sculpture you haven't finished, right? You've got you to finish it, right? And then once it's done, 
then you know there's 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 typically going to be a delay between when is it done and when do I publish it. So that's that's the time for you to protect it, or at least the time for you to have the conversation about is it appropriate to protect it. Not everything deserves a registration, right? I mean, if this is just a hobby, or if this is something, you know, let's say that you're creating something and you want people to share it. I wouldn't get a registration on something that I want people to share freely. I want right. to just make them share it freely and get, you know, I don't want to put any barriers in front of that. Now we're in the um, 11th hour. Let's get down to the marketing part. Yeah. But one, one key thing here, what's the cost? Because if it costs 99 cents, kind of like domains, sometimes they're so cheap. People say, well, let me just register these hundred domains for my business because it costs so little, but if the domains are 10 grand each, you're like, well, we're going to save up to get one. Um, right. Yeah. So, so out of all the different kinds of intellectual property, trade secret is something you typically do yourself. So there's no cost. There's no registration. You're just putting measures in place to keep it secret. Okay. And I know we really okay. didn't talk about trade secret, but I trade secret it. just means I'm going to, I'm going to put it in this document in the safe and not let anybody find it. Yeah. Or encrypt the file or make right. sure that only certain people see the gadget or, or things right. like that. Like right. the Coke formula. It's so secret that we don't even want to patent it because then people can see right. it. So we're yeah. just going to bury it. Yeah, things like that. The, so the, so that's, that's, a, that's at one end of the spectrum. Okay. At the other end of the spectrum are patents, which are the, the, rule, for getting, the, the rule book for getting patents is 10,000 pages long. And there's even more pages worth of cases explaining the rules. And, 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 and so if you're wanting to get a patent on something, you absolutely need to have a patent attorney help you. Okay. And, and, and you're going to spend 15 to $40,000 typically over the life of the patent to get the patent and keep it alive. Right. So that's the other end of the spectrum. All right. So now back closer to the do it yourself side of things is copyright. Um, out of all the ones where there is a registration, copyright's probably the one that you're most likely to successfully do it yourself if that's your bend, okay? Um, if not, and if so, the government fee is, is um, there's different government fees, but they're between like 50 and $80 um, right now. And and so you're not- Is that the same for a trademark? No. Do it yourself? Uh, oh. Different for a trademark. And we'll put links in the show notes for both the government pages for copyright and trademark. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So copyright.gov for um, for copyrights, and then USPTO.gov for for trademarks and, and patents. Um, but if it's something that's really important to your business, you really ought to have an attorney help you, and plan on spending about four hundred to eight hundred dollars for a typical copyright registration. Um, and they're they're fairly straightforward, but there are some tricky pieces to it. So, kind of the buried entry is: when should you register a copyright? when you're ready to spend 400 800 dollars on it <laughs> yeah and you feel like that's worth it you feel like right. the protection that, that makes sense and then on trademark side of things i would plan on spending somewhere between 1500 and 3500 for a trademark uh, and that includes going through the process includes searching you want to do research first um, you don't want to step in there, there are certain things about your application that you cannot change once you filed it and, and there's sometimes that you might want to pivot based on who else has what trademarks where. Um, and it would really suck if you couldn't pivot before you filed. Because right. You don't want to do all the work and register it and find out somebody else has came up yeah, with the exact same <laughs> yeah. logo. I think that's about right. We trademarked and it was about 2500 bucks. 
Yeah. yeah, or something similar enough that it would confuse customers. Because remember, yeah. this isn't about protecting you. It's about protecting customers. And right. so if the trademark office thinks that customers are going to get confused, then they're, they're, they're going to tell you no. Not just so, customers. It's really about protecting just the royalty. Right, right, right. But the royalty <laughs> is... Well, that wasn't the king's intention. He, he wanted no, to protect he, his people. Yeah, just that one rich guy that... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it trickled down to the rest of us. It was just protecting the small group of nobles. Um, the with trademark though, the, the I saw they did a study and they took five years of trademark data from the trademark office, like not a sampling, but like full five years. And what they found was that people who had less than 30, 30 previous filings that they had done before, right? So they didn't have experience filing, so they hadn't filed very many applications had about a 30% chance of success in getting a registration. Um, now, I didn't look at the quality of the registrations. Were they good? Were they enforceable? Did they actually protect what they wanted to? Just whether, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down, did they get it? Um, and then on average, people who had 30 or more previous um, registrations, you know, to their name, um, not to their name, but to their filing, right? So not that they owned it, but that, they, that they, they're the ones that are filing it. Um, they had about a 60% success rate. Um, Right. Now, I thought that was really weird because 60% doesn't sound very good either. Um, and I'm not quite sure what's going on there, but I have my own. This processes. is people if they did it themselves, the D- DIYers, right. right? Well, but it also includes lawyers, right? Mm. Um, Maybe some of took, them are just not doing the a great data. job. <laughs> yeah, they took all the data for every day. So my success rate is way higher than that, but I do have my own processes and my own way of doing searching that I've created myself. And so I don't know what other lawyers have for their success rate, but um, but mine's way higher than that. And, and, and I think you know, a lot of it comes down to what are you doing, when and why and how. And are you I didn't know that you couldn't that? get it. I thought once you they could reject went to you, an yeah. attorney, like, yeah, I know they yeah. do research, I mean, but I just thought, you know, call my attorney up and trademark this. And he goes, well, I'm going to do some research and this and that. And then I always thought it was just in the bag. Yeah. No, it's, it's not. not always in the bag. Yeah. So here's Jason. Well, I bet what's happening, why your numbers are getting drugged down and you're thinking, hey, these people that apply so many times, they should have much better numbers because you're thinking they're like you. I bet you there's some services and some lawyers out there that are like twenty nine ninety nine. We'll do your copyright. And all they <laughs> do be. is fill out the paperwork. They don't Could they just be. they're just like, you don't know yeah. how to find the website. We'll submit it. It'll get rejected. We'll do it five times for you. We'll get the twenty nine ninety five each time. They're, yeah. they're bringing your numbers down, man. Are people I, just I right. submitting stupid shit too? I mean, they just. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've seen people submit um, the wash and care instructions on the tag on the back of shirts. And, <laughs> like they're trying to own that, right? Yeah. Um, I've seen Is this people- like Taco Tuesday stuff? I mean, didn't LeBron James try to <laughs> copyright or yeah, copyright? Yeah. Who copyrighted people- Taco Tuesday? Who I've trademarked that? Try to register the ABCs, try to register all the numbers. Like they, they, they think that they're owning the characters or something like that. I don't know, but um, yeah, wow. really weird registrations. Um, and then you also see some cool ones. There was one that was this, this logo and it was this flaming dude on a motorcycle throwing his head at a bunch of people and they were running away in a trailer park or something like that. It was like, that is really specific really specific yeah Yeah, exactly so So that's probably not going to get rejected because there's another one that's too similar right right (laughs) yeah yeah exactly but but you know there's an art to how how specific do you want to be and how general do you want to be so that 
you know, again, it's about protecting people from being confused. And so the, um, the more specific you are, then, then actually the harder it is for someone to even come close to what you're doing. And so maybe, maybe you're, you're being too specific. Um, right. when, you're, when you're talking about let's optimize ownership and optimize the value of the trademark. So. Right. It's uh, what Ralph Lauren owning the, po- the, the polo logo and telling polo clubs they couldn't use that guy on a horse doing polo motions. Um, if they went super specific with their logo, then people would be able to do a general version, right? But they went so general that it was mm-hmm. and, and got that nailed down that they were able to stop polo people from poloing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you can make if you can make a compelling argument that consumers are getting confused by what's going on, then 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 right. that, I think they're that's go- where they're the going to polo. Comes in. So let's um let's uh, get to the hardcore marketing side real quick. Where there's way more to talk about than I thought here, as far as just, just so much more interest. Um, my thought on the marketing side is frequently you have something copyrighted, trademarked, or you just put the copyright and trademark marks on something. Are you allowed to do that without filing? Can you put TM and C? Okay. You can put the TM and you can put the circle C. You can't put the circle R without the registration. Okay. Ah, Um, So just putting that on gives your brand an extra air of legitimacy versus the logo that doesn't have that or the product name that doesn't have that. When When you're marketing, people see that and they may not know your brand, but but they they see this stamp of approval, basically like, oh, this is official. It has this TM afterward. Yeah, and what it, what it really means is that you believe that you own rights to that brand. That's what the TM means, right? Right. It doesn't mean that you actually have rights. It just means that you believe it, and you're expecting people to respect it. But that that does mean something, right? But in I mean, the consumer's the mind, it kind yeah. of applies that there's something worth owning the rights to. Yeah. It's, it's almost yes. like you're. You're building up the brand a little bit just by adding that after it, even though you haven't even a credibility factor. Yeah. Yeah. And that that goes back to the conversation we had before this about patents where the patent pending, right. um, Doesn't mean you can sue somebody, but it sure means a lot in the minds of consumers. It means it implies that there's extra value here that they they can't get anywhere else. And that's exciting. Right. So, so at some level marketplace, you want to be unique some level with marketing, especially maybe you have a commodity type product, you may want to register stuff purely for your marketing, purely to be able to say, blah, 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 patent pending. They don't need to know that your patent is bullshit and is going to get rejected, but they don't need to know that your patent is on something trivial that doesn't matter at all. They just know that they're looking at two products. One has a patent pending and the other doesn't. Like, why would you go with the one that doesn't have a unique patent pending on it of course you're going to go with this one it's got something behind the scenes that's mystical and worth yeah, adding. yeah consumers are making de- decisions in a very different way from what business people are making and so you do want to step into the to the mind of the consumer and say you know how do they recognize value and how can i communicate the value that i have um and and patent right. pending and the tm and the copyright symbols all contribute to that so you can protect your value, but you can also imply value that may not even be there. Um, Like going to the king and starting a big kerfuffle saying, my brand is being stolen. 
even if it's not maybe just to get the press about your brand being stolen when nobody even knows what your brand is anyway, because you just started out. But now people think, you know, you're doing a little emperor wears no clothes with your branding almost at some point, making people think there's way more value there than there is doing a little fake it till you make it maybe but like whatever like jason said we are creating illusions that then people mm. agree to that is right. it is everything we're doing in commerce yeah yeah right? well and you know i mean if 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 there's a patent and it's it's a it's a crappy patent right but everybody's mm. signing license but it's a patent to the patent yeah then it was at least good enough to get license agreements right and so right. maybe even if there's something wrong with the patent but all the business people are 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 following along right then it had it was a certainly an effective patent um and so yeah so there's just you know just because something just because you when you're looking at it as and from your own point of view you don't see a lot of value in it doesn't mean that other people can't find value in it um, right. and can't be excited about it right and or so you know kind of even... look at how can i create excitement around what i'm doing and and um, and then how can I legitimately communicate that and effectively? It's a great it's a great marketing differentiator too. So marketers maybe that want to patent or trademark or copyright something, and their finance department or their boss is telling them like we're not going to spend you know fifteen hundred dollars on the on this can can sell it as actually adding value to the company as well. Like, Hey, this isn't just to protect this logo that we made. I know you don't give a crap about this and you don't think anybody else does, but it's going to make our brand worth more. The fact that we did this is going to in itself raise the profile of the company. You know, yeah, I know you don't care or about this patent. Neither do I, but understand it's going to add a couple hundred thousand dollars, a couple minute, whatever it is value to the company and allow you to get, you know, a larger loan next time or a larger, whatever it is, right. or more investment because good point, Sky. Yeah. Um, so you can get some of the stuff approved through the finance angle of, look, you don't need to even know or care what it is. Just yeah, know that we need to have aspect. these. Yeah. This Before you get it approved on the finance angle, you can start using those, not the re registered symbol, but the trademark and the copyright, mm -hmm. right? You can, you, you should follow it up. And, with then you, and you should, you definitely should. And then there's also really cool tricks. Uh, tricks isn't the right word. There's really cool strategies you can implement with intellectual property for tax tax savings. And I know that we're you know we're not going to get into that, but when you're talking about why owners are excited about intellectual property, um, there's some really great tax advantages you can do by so, things in certain things in certain ways. No way. I've got a fraudulent question for you here. Then, um, can you? create intellectual property, say it has a certain amount of value and then dispose of it and count that as losses. So, okay, so first of all, I'm not a tax attorney, so, so I can't really answer specific questions like that, but there are, there are ways to, um, to use intellectual property and to get, take advantage of losses. There are ways to take advantage of better tax rates um, because a lot of times like royalty income is taxed at a lower rate than, than um, regular income. And so, for example, if you have a holding company that holds the intellectual property, licenses it to your operating company, your operating company interacts with the public, generates revenue, but then owes money to the licensing company, right, to right. the holding company, that then that revenue comes in and then gets expensed out as an expense, right? 
but then the holding company pays a lower tax rate on it. Um, I am confused so- and upset now. Um, <laughs> is this related to the thing? I think the WeWork owner uh, like registered the, he copyrighted the company logo personally so he could sell it back to the company or yeah, so make the company pay to use it or something like that. Yeah, you could own it personally. You could own it as a holding company. Most of the time you hold it as an owning a holding company so that it's protected against any personal financial disasters. Right. Um, I think this guy tried to, and I don't, I'm probably going to get it wrong, but there was something like this where he had originally owned personally the brand. And so then he wanted to sell it back to the company for some large sum of money or make them pay royalties on it. Or, so that well, may have just been a yeah. tax purpose thing, not really him just trying to screw the company, but just trying to get some tax benefit. Or he yeah, created well, it and it's royalty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, that, and that's also a good reason if you're going to acquire a company from someone else, you want to do an audit of the intellectual property because you know where the intellectual property may be 80% of the value of what you're buying, you ought to go look at that, right? right. So just like you'd inspect vehicles or inspect a facility that you're buying, you should have your intellectual property attorney look at the trademarks. Look Who at- owns it, right? Owns that was it. a question yeah. I had here. Because you can hire a graphic designer to make you a logo mm-hmm. and then you start the company and then you find out later that, that guy owns your branding because you didn't have any paperwork. You didn't have any agreement with them that said you own the, the, this stuff or you hire an agency and they end up owning your copyright. Yeah, license. And that, and, and that happens all the time. Not so much on the trademark side because it's who uses it is who owns it. But when you're talking about the copyright side, so if you have photographers that take pictures for you, if you have web developers that build websites for you, if you have marketers that produce copy for you, um, they're often considered to be the original author. And therefore, since the government wants to reward the author, it's not the government wants to reward the business. The right. government wants to reward the author. So the author automatically owns it unless there's a signed written agreement. Unless there's a signed written agreement. And I do know that. I do know that rule. That so you want to change developers and the developer says, good luck, but you know, I own your website, right? And, and that, <laughs> that can happen. Interesting. Interesting. I've seen yeah. that. With, um, Most people don't know that. Yeah. I, I do. I do know that. So make sure you actually own the stuff when it's created from the start. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you could be kind of embarrassed later on. There's a lot of stuff still I want to get to. Let's touch really quick on some of the fun stuff. Things like um, what do we have? Trademark ransoming, uh, things like the Redskins trademarking and, yeah. uh, and, and that kind of stuff. I think mm-hmm. people know about um, like a website. You have your URL. Oops, you let it lapse and someone else gets it. And now they want 10 grand for it. Um, but yeah. apparently that happens with trademarks as well. Like you have, mm-hmm. you have your trademark. You don't actually trademark it. Somebody else does. And yeah. you find out... <laughs> Uh, you got to go to court and try to get it back and they already have yeah. it in place. And if, they, and if they're not sophisticated in how they did it, then there's a good chance that you could get it back. Really? Um, because they, they probably would have made some mistakes and there's, there's some, some you know, pressure relief valves in the law to allow you to, to correct things that are clearly wrong. But that's going to cost said, you way more than just registering it to start yeah. with. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then that said, if they're sophisticated, if this is the sort of thing that they do on a regular basis, and there are companies out there, just right. like there's companies out there that are watching 
to see if your domain expires. And if your yep. domain expires, they pick it up. You know, I have a friend whose really, business got his domain expired, and then uh, suddenly someone else owned it the next day. Yeah. And if they're sophisticated, they will own it in a way that you can't stop them from, from owning it. And you will have to buy it from them at a price that they pick, right? Um, and so you do want to be on top of these things. Wow. So once there's any value to your business, look to trademark what needs to be trademarked. Yeah. Yeah. Or you could end up being beholden to some creep That's, somewhere that just such does such a valuable like, lesson we're learning here today. Holy cow. There's so many things I didn't know. So we are running out of time. Do you have any major things for people to watch out for or make sure they do that we haven't touched on yet? Um, I mean, yeah, lots of things. I mean, it's a complicated area of law, right? Um, but, but the big thing is, you know, check your gut. You know, if, if there's something about your business that you feel in your gut, like you would feel sick inside if someone stole it, or you'd feel angry if someone stole it, right? Then, then that might be something that can be protected with intellectual property, right? And that's, that, that would be when you go to your IP attorney and you say, hey, I got this thing that I'm excited about or I'm anxious about or whatever, just and describe it to them and say, I don't know if this is protected with copyright or trademark or trade secret, I don't know. Right. But I know it would really bother me if someone stole it. So what do I do? Right. And then that can start that conversation. And, and this can be any time. Right. But but usually the sooner you have the conversation, the better off you are, because the more options you'll have, the more choices you have, the more you can strategize what you do and when you do it. And that's uh, the one time it's free to talk to an attorney. Right. When you come to him and say, I might want to do something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and you're protected under attorney client privilege. Because that's how that works. Even if you know, even if it's an attorney you've never talked to before, right? Right. Um, you know, if, if it didn't work that way, how could you talk to? How could you? you know, how could you talk to a divorce attorney without explaining right. that you're interested in divorce? Right. They need to keep that secret, right? I'm interested yeah. in this thing. I can't tell you what it was. Uh, right. other, yeah. Otherwise, you would have a company where people come to you to get trademarks. You tell mm -hmm. them no, sorry, and then you go out and trademark it and sell it back to them. It'll be worth a lot more money that way. <laughs> Right. And that would be horrible. Right? Yeah, that would be horrible. Yeah, that would be horrible. If that's how the rules work. Let's so. finish off with something fun here. The Redskins renaming and trademarking. What what do you have for us on that? Yeah, so that, that was interesting. Um, so so maybe, you know, and, and I'm, I don't want to judge what they did or how they did it. Or I'm sure there were a lot of things that so outside of whether we play. think it's uh, they should or shouldn't and stuff. And it, this is the Washington Redskins football team known now known as a Washington yeah. football team. They've had this, this logo and this branding and merchandise for a long time. Long time. Some so people as as are very start, polarized around whether they should or shouldn't, but what yeah. about the, just the actual trademarking of it and the technical stuff here? Yeah. So, I mean, as soon as they, as soon as they said that they were, planning to change the name, right? Then everybody and their dogs started filing trademark applications on what they thought they might change the name to in hopes that they're right. And then, the, you know, and then they get a big payoff, right? They can and, sell it back, sell it to them. Yeah. yeah and sell it back to them. Now, really? not registrations because these people aren't literally planning on starting a football program, right? You have right. to, when they're you just looking for a quick buck. Yeah, when you file the application, you have to state that you actually do intend to use it or you actually are using it, 
Okay, right. those are just vultures. But it could be your favorite flag football league. I mean, come on, it's a and it could. And again, a sophisticated, a sophisticated person who really wants to pull off a strategy like that, there's ways to do it, right? right. But somebody um, went to the government site and was just like, "I'm going to take every major animal that isn't already a football team and register right. that." The Washington, you know, Aardvarks. Now, what happens Washington. to the Redskins name and trademark? It's just. It's forever in perpetuity. That well, yeah. Or can so I start printing to, out my own merchandising? So 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 um, again, back to the protecting consumers. If a, if a brand isn't being used anymore, then there's no benefit to the consumers to keep it off limits. And mm-hmm. so so if you quit using a brand and and your registration expires and you don't renew it right because you can renew them in perpetuity as long as you're still using it so with the brand like you might want to have a lawyer because just like your url you're going to forget to renew it and then yeah. somebody's really going to jump on it because now they know there's value because yeah. you already had it okay and, and it and it, and the renewal period there's a five-year renewal a 10-year renewal and then every 10 years after that right and, and in my experience business owners they, they don't have a great um like, like their focus is on the next few, you know, the next quarter, right? Yeah. In 10 years, you're going to forget to renew out. it. Yeah. And, and it's hard to remember that. And so, yeah, you do want to have someone that's got your back on. So Redskins, Washington football team. Mm-hmm. Um, are they going to drop it and then anybody can just start? Or are they going to keep it and do some merchandising just so they can continue owning the brand? Um, what? Well, I don't know what they're going to do, but if I was, if I was them, so if, and this is not me giving legal advice, right? This is, if I was that owner, right, I would probably keep it so that nobody could use it and, 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 and have that 10 year period run. Right. And in that 10 year period, I'm using the new brand and getting everybody's attention on the new brand. And then when the 10 year period is over, then I'd probably let it go because at that point it just wouldn't matter. And if someone else started doing red skin stuff, nobody right. would care. But then it could become an antique or nostalgic and then could be worth a lot. Right. You could reevaluate it. Like the years. merchandise from that. The merchandise itself. Yeah. It totally yeah. Did, and, and likely will be. And on a PR yeah. side, you can say we're maintaining this brand, not because, you know, because we want to keep putting this stuff out, we don't like it. That's why we're changing it. Please don't be angry. We're, we're, we're maintaining, maintaining it. it for the 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 value of the consumers. We're well, protecting so, the consumers right. for the next ten yeah. years. But well, so that I, other people don't put out this branding that we don't want being put out anymore. Basically, yeah. And a lot of times, what you'll do is you'll actually co-brand. You'll you'll double brand it with the, mm-hmm. the, the old brand and the new brand. And the old brand's biggest, and the new brand is smaller. And then next year you make them so they're the same size. And the next year you make them so that the old <laughs> brand is small and the new brand is big. And then the, the year after that, then the old brand shows up on the back of the thing, not on the front of the thing. And the old brand is covering the whole space. And then the next year, the old brand just goes away. Right. But that way, and it's actually a really good gradient way to do it, isn't it's it? It's like That's twins in the womb; one slowly eats the other until you just have one. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay, before, you guys are I've sick. Been looking for the perfect way to describe it. And like, you, you came through for me, Sky. I love it. Sick. Sick. The, the strong logo eats the weak logo, and then yes, yep. that's what you have. Uh, Competition. Put them on an island, let them fight to the death, and we'll come out with a brand. Um, okay, Jason, so, this has been so informative and super entertaining, like history and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I was excited for this topic, Jason, but I was worried that 
it wouldn't be that exciting for the listener. And now I am worried that the listener is just going to want more of this um, because this is pretty awesome. The history, everything, the, the, you know, the well, our listeners should contact us and tell us what else they want to know. And then we can have Jason yeah. back on. Yeah. Let us know. We can have another one. If there's something else you guys want to dig into more on this. And then um, Jason, we didn't really get into you much we didn't have time to get into your company and you so let's do that we now. know we that he's descendant of a king come on yeah, <laughs> of <a> king. <laughs> and he has oh, a long yes, heritage yes. of doing this <laughs> also like you were formerly curing cancer and doing some kind of crazy science stuff um so tell us a little bit about you and your background yeah. and then your company as well yeah so um so i fell in love with science really really young and then um you know, and, and like rocketry and chemistry and things like that. And I eventually discovered physics. And when I discovered physics, I knew, oh my gosh, this is for me. This is the explanation Wait. of everything. So your ancestor invented the copyright and you discovered physics? This well, I... <laughs> 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 totally, totally. Yeah, I was throwing apples at Isaac Newton. Right. <laughs> about it and, and, uh, yeah, I'm getting I'm, suspicious here. I'm a, a little second. older than I look. And, uh, and I have two sharp teeth. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, but so when I, when I had my first physics class, right, I loved it and, and just, and just fell in love with it. And so in my undergraduate is in physics and, um, but I also love computers and I love, you know, programming and things like that. And so, um, and I love doing research. And so I did, I, I did, um, lots of different kinds of research, laser research, and, and I helped um, biology department with some cancer research with, you know, trying to get cell penetration of certain uh, anti-cancer drugs and things like that. Um, and, and it was, it was awesome. I just thought it was fantastic, but I started to get really nervous and dissatisfied because the plan was to go to graduate school, get a PhD and then go do research at a university and teach. Right. And I love teaching. That's one of my favorite things in the world. But um, the thing I love about physics is that it's the explanation. It's sort of the foundation for everything. And I love understanding and exploring everything. I love exploring, right? Um, but to get a PhD in physics, what you do is you pick a really narrow category of physics, um, and then you dive really, really deep into it. And, and that didn't sound appealing to me at all. And uh, I was complaining to a buddy of mine about that. And he was like, oh, you should be a patent attorney. That would be perfect for you. And I was like, oh, I so went the Einstein route. I see. Yeah. Trying to make the connections. Like usually people become a lawyer and then they get sick of that and they decide to cure cancer. You went the other way. What the hell's going yeah. on? Yeah. Well, and most people who are in the science and engineering, you know, they don't, they don't like talking to people. They don't like reading. They don't like it's writing, true. like doing stuff. Right. Right. And a patent attorney, all I do all day long is read, write and talk to people. Um, and so it's a very, you know, it takes a really weird person to love the science, but also to love the, this other side to it. And um, so, so we'll I just add to- Einstein like to your bio here. <laughs> <laughs> like, now that sounds super awesome. I was confused. Like, how do you end, how do you end up? Uh, I was just kept thinking lawyer, not patent attorney. And now and what's I'm- the name of your company? So Pearson Butler. Oh, that's right. Pearson Butler. And you guys folks, um, basically everything we're talking about, here's the ad part, everything we're talking about with copyrights and patents and trademarks and stuff, you guys handle specifically that stuff? Yeah, so I'm, I'm the director of the IP group, so my group handles all that stuff. Uh, we also do tax and estate planning and family law and 
criminal and we, we, I mean, pretty much everything. Um, so you're a branch actually, of a larger firm that handles this. You know, yeah. Yeah. And we're actually looking at expanding into even, even more categories and even doing some stuff outside of law. Um, and, if you need uh, a divorce lawyer, but really today we're focused on the IP. And, and that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and that happens. And we're like, so-and-so did my divorce for me. Can you help me with this? And, with this patent? And, and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I came up with a new way to get rid of my wife. Can I patent it? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I had someone, I had someone uh, ask me if he could get a patent on a, a novel technique for selling marijuana. Hmm. And, and, um, and the way he described it to me, I, I was like, yeah, I think that would be the technology itself is a good candidate, but you realize that you would be enforcing this against people who's, whose living is made on breaking the law right <laughs> yeah like, oh. well that was back then versus yeah you're enforcing this on people who put heads in duffel bags good luck right. i guess he right. was high right. when he thought of that yeah. like, i don't think i don't think that a yeah. patent's gonna stop anybody from copying mm. your invention yeah, He's yeah. Like, that's yeah, funny that's i will funny. bring your head in a jar into court and represent you right yeah. <laughs> All right. So people, um, you can find show notes. We've got pearsonbutler.com on there. We'll have uh, some contact information for you, Jason. And then um, that that story about your ancestor with the uh, whole copyright, I believe, was the one. Yeah, um, the king in the Ireland. Copyright king of Ireland. We'll put a link to that on there. I haven't read the whole thing. I got to go check that out. That looks amazing. And then the government sites for USPTO, the Patent and Trademark Office, and the uh, Copyright uh, Government Office. We'll have all those links in the show notes. And, and um, I, uh, if they have questions directly for me, I'm cool with that too. Awesome. So. Fantastic. Yeah, reach out to Jason. Any questions you have on patents, copyrights, trademarks, whether you should or should not, again, that uh, first call is a freebie when you talk to lawyers, so take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Thank you for, uh, for listening to the show. Please uh, tell a friend, share us on social media, all those kind of good things. And on behalf of Carla Joe Helms and the Iffy Market team and Jason Webb of Pearson Butler, thank you for listening to the Iffy Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it. With trademarks and copyrights. Yeah, with trademarks and copyrights, <laughs> copyrights and, and patents. All that kind of good stuff. They will come. They will come. Love it. Should you find yourself in need of targeted lists for your sales and marketing campaigns, have a look at topdatasearch.com. Our platform lets you quickly and easily search and download lists with email, phone, mailing address, everything you need for your sales and marketing campaigns. So if like many of our clients, you're sick of the high cost, poor data quality, and poor service of your current list provider, go to topdatasearch.com and get a free account, no seat fees, no subscription necessary. You only pay for data when you need it. Use the promo code IFUMARKET1000 and get an extra 1,000 free download credits. That's topdatasearch.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.